0: All right, so where we were uh, last time we were together on Monday is, that's not going to help, is we had started into the nutrition chapter, and I offered you this first set of study questions when we got going. study questions we were looking at. Uh, We were considering issues of toxicity associated with some of the vitamins, and in particular with the non-water soluble vitamins. We also addressed the issue of vegetarians being able to get uh, complete combinations of amino acids, and then looking at the quality of the various kinds of fats that we do take in. So for all of the different kinds of uh, foods, we can break those down into both macronutrients and micronutrients. And just a reminder there, the macronutrients are Uh, The the larger nutritional requirements that would include your carbohydrates, which are of course your sugars and starches, as well as fats and proteins. And among the micronutrients, we started looking at the groupings of vitamins and minerals that make up those um, micronutrients. So when we were first looking at the macronutrients, I gave you some information to start with about carbohydrates as one of your macronutrients and said that macronutrients that are carbohydrates are going to have the carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen present in a one to two to one ratio. So for every two hydrogens in a carbohydrate, we'll have one carbon and one oxygen. And the example I gave you that, uh, of that was with even our glucose molecule, sugar if you will, and we have six carbons, 12 hydrogens, and six oxygens. So we're maintaining that one to two to one <coughs> ratio throughout that. Okay, the next area that we looked at, and this first part is just review, the other part we looked at were the lipids, and of particular importance there with, uh, with the lipids is we're looking at the combination of lipids with the proteins. And the reason that becomes important is the, the fats have to be able to travel through your blood but your blood is about 92% water. So the lipids can't travel easily through your blood without an escort. And the escorts are combinations of additional proteins, additional lipids, the phospholipids, and even some cholesterol that combine to help move that fat molecule through your blood. Now, when we're looking at evaluation of your overall health, one of the things we look at are your triglycerides, your cholesterol, your LDLs, and your HDLs. So I'm going to focus here just for a second on the LDLs and the HDLs because this is where it comes down down to the hard facts about which of those lipids are good for you and which ones are not. Now, this one, the LDLs, or low-density lipoproteins. L is for lousy because those are the bad ones. You want low numbers of LDLs because they are not healthy. Uh, they carry cholesterol along with them in large quantities and deposit it along the line as they're making that move through your blood. And you definitely don't want that additional cholesterol to be deposited in the, uh, in the arteries of your heart. The other side the HDLs Okay, the other side of this coin, the HDLs, or the high-density lipoproteins, H for happy, golf well. The HDLs are the high-density lipoproteins. The escorts for them are 45% protein, only 10% lipid, and a little bitty 15% cholesterol. So what that means is that as these HDLs, or the happy high-density lipoproteins, as they're traveling through the blood, they can pick up cholesterol along the way and carry it off to the liver for processing and then ultimate elimination. So as long as we're getting additional HDLs in our diet, we're actually making moves through nutrition to remove cholesterol rather than adding it. So those become real important considerations. And we also looked a little bit at the correlation between... um, obesity and heart disease. And we'll be getting into that more later on today, so I'm gonna skip past that for now. And move over to, let me jump ahead. Okay. All right. Uh, and then before we leave macro, macronutrients by too far, Uh, also the proteins, and the important thing with the proteins that I stressed on Monday was that to get your complete amino acid, it takes uh, a variety within your diet to get all of the essential amino acids. There are 20 of them, and 9 of them are called essential, which means it's essential that you get them from your diet, because your body can't synthesize (laughs) it. And when you're taking in proteins, your body doesn't use them as they as they enter into your body, but rather breaks them down into the components of those proteins or those amino acids. It's a little bit like if the amino acids are the beads, then the protein is the necklace. And then once it's taken in, the beads are broken up, recombined to make new proteins as needed by your body. So if you are a vegetarian or a vegan and it becomes a little bit of a, a tiny challenge to get the complete set of your amino acids. Um, but by combining things like beans and rice, it's relatively easy. Now this is, this is my new favorite discovery. And because uh, I, I spend a lot of time here on campus, and uh, I bring my lunch most of the time. And I found an inst- or a, uh, a frozen food that I actually really like and will give a thumbs up to. Kashi is the brand. And this is Mayan Harvest Bake. It has plantains, black beans, sweet potato kale, uh, multigrain pilaf, on and on and on. This is great stuff. Not only does it have a very good read on the label, but it's also yummy so it's totally edible and i think this was about 250 at walmart so i just thought i'd uh, put in a plug for that because it gets thumbs up and i don't give a lot of those all right now moving on from our macronutrients to the micronutrients within the micronutrients we're looking at vitamins and minerals some we need in larger quantities some in smaller quantities and started out with those vitamins that are fat soluble. Okay, This means that they tend to store in your body tissue and if you have high levels, if you're taking in high levels of fat soluble vitamins, then one of the risks that we enter into is towards toxicity where there can be too much of it, your body does not expel the rest. So it almost enters into a category like a drug because it takes on toxic proportions when we have too much. And vitamin A is one of those where if we're taking a supplement of the straight vitamin A or straight vitamin D, then we can accumulate and get too much of that into our system. The other two on the fat solubles were vitamins E and K. And you definitely want to have the adequate amounts of these vitamins, but not overages, because they're critical for so many of the different functions in your body that we can see there on table 14.3. Again, review, so I'm not going to go over that in depth. Okay, but we will move a little bit further into uh, the water soluble vitamins. And your whole B complex tends to be water soluble. And by saying B-complex, that would include uh, the B1 vitamins as well as here you would have your B2s, niacin, uh, B6, B12. And the chart that I have over here to accompany table 13-3 shows you just a, a typical vitamin label and what some of the percentages are as far as what you're getting for therapeutic doses of those various components within the multivitamin. Um, let's see, one of these B12, okay, B12 takes on kind of a world of its own. Let me jump ahead, again, review. B12 is an interesting, interesting part of the B complex. One, because it is the only part of that B complex that is not found in vegetables. All of the rest of the B complex uh, components you can get from vegetables, but not the B12. And why does that matter? Well, part of it has to do with what is in B12, which is a tiny, tiny fragment of cobalt. And the cobalt in the B12 component of the B complex helps metabolize certain amino acids. Now remember, I said that we have to have all 20 of those amino acids, so that we can reassemble and rebuild whatever proteins we need. Well, in particular, the methionine is one of those amino acids, and it's an essential amino acid, but without adequate amounts of cobalt that we would find in the B12, we can't really make that very well, okay? So what's the big deal with that? Well, it has to do with nutrient uptake from your digestive system, from your small intestines. And if you do not have the ability to produce the methionine, then it can't break down into its other products, and you have a more difficult time um, with nutrient absorption when it gets to your small intestines. So kind of critical there. And then also, if you look in this uh, center section, uh, necessary for red blood cell formation. It's a big component of that. Now, with all of the B-complexes, and I skipped past a couple of these pictures, so I'll go back briefly. <laughs> with the, the vitamins of the B-complex, if you have any kind of a skin... Disorder, not acne. That's a different issue. But if you have chronically dry skin, or if you have scaly patches, then it could very well be likely to a vitamin B deficiency. Here's one example of, uh, of a B deficiency, and this is a condition called uh, pellagra that's associated with deficiencies of niacin and niacin is one of the components of your B-complex and it's also associated with metabolism. So if you're having a difficult time getting your weight down to a point where you want it, uh, niacin is associated with increased metabolic function. So that may be indicating that uh, that would be an area where you would want to increase your dietary intake and consider nutrient supplements. Okay, Another one, and this is just kind of a classic dermatitis that would be associated with uh, uh, the the membranes around the nose and the mouth. And this is associated with another component of the B6 in deficiency, and that is um, the, the B6 as part of the B complex. So again, if you have these kind of unexplained skin rashes like this, it's a possibility that bumping your B complex will help with that situation. Now the other thing that Bs, and I'm a big proponent of B complex, is in terms of being calm and having your nervous system under control and not freaking out too often. Um, bump your bees, and you'd be amazed at how much that helps without entering into drug therapy to you know, just kind of be a little bit more chill. And let's see what else before we move ahead. Oh, for vegans and vegetarians, back to our B12, since it's not found in vegetables. Uh, vegetarians and vegans really need to look to fortified products, like the fortified soy milk, is one of the one of the few areas where you can actually get the B12 in a vegan or a vegetarian diet. And uh, the other possibility exists by getting it through a supplement. All right, zip ahead here. All right, these are some more of our water soluble vitamins. And by water soluble, that means it's difficult, not impossible, but it's difficult to overdose or to take too much of the water soluble vitamins. Because um, knowledge up until very, very recently was that your body would only use what it needs and the rest would be expelled with the rest (coughs) of your waste products. Well, recently, and by recently I mean within the last week or two, um, uh, research has started indicating that it may be quite dangerous to overdose on certain of the water-soluble vitamins that there are levels where even the water soluble vitamins will reach toxicity. So you wanna be very, very careful with megadoses, especially if you're using supplements, and do that in coordination with your care provider, whether that's a nurse practitioner or a athletic trainer, but definitely be, be getting some counsel if you're going to megadoses. And these are some of the <laughs> typical doses that you would see in a multivitamin supplement. And like 200% with the folates, another 100% of your daily values are being met for biotin, pantothenic acid, for example. Two hundred percent on vitamin C, now, so those are all relatively uh, easy to take numbers. When you start seeing a thousand times or a thousand percent, twelve hundred percent that 's where you need to start getting suspicious and say, "Is this a level that is going to be dangerous for me?" okay now where okay, let me jump we did that. all right, now this one is one that we hear about more and more often right now. And particularly in your age group, uh, and especially for the women in the group, getting adequate amounts of folic acid is absolutely critical when you are in your reproductive years. If you are planning to become pregnant, if there is the chance that you might become pregnant, then to ensure the developmental health of that of that fetus this needs to be in place the folic acid needs to be in place before conception because shortages of uh, the folic acid at the point of conception and very early in fetal development uh, really will play havoc and there are a couple of different reasons One is because folic acid contributes to establishing these uh, nitrogenous bases in the DNA. So by nitrogenous bases, what I mean is if you look at a DNA strand, those are the rungs on the ladder. Those are the nitrogenous bases. And they're made up of uh, those four materials, either the adenine, thymine, guanine, or cytosine. So if you don't have adequate amounts of folic acid, then there's difficulty in establishing the connections for those nitrogenous bases in the DNA. So clearly that's a problem with fetal development. Now the other one, and this is, this is a, a big one right now, is uh, looking at prevention of neural tube defects. And the neural tube forms very, very early in the developmental process which is why I say if you are attempting to become pregnant or if there's a chance you might become pregnant, then you wanna make sure the folic acid is in place because by the time you actually find out you're pregnant, this stage of development has passed. And this is a schematic of what one of those neural tube defects might look like. It's like a bubbling out at the base of the neural tube. And then as, uh, as development continues here, along the spinal cord, this, this is a picture of a baby that was actually born showing that kind of a neural tube defect. Now, it's a lot more than a cosmetic problem, so it's not so simple as just removing that, but it plays into the whole neural function and impacts the survivability of this baby. So, very, very important. Okay. And vitamin C, good old ascorbic acid. Um, it doesn't last long under heat. And there's a, there's a big wave right now to eating raw food products. And I think to go all raw, you actually miss uh, some of the nutrients that come as a result of cooking where the, the breakdown products of some of the raw materials are more beneficial. But if you're to balance your diet between raw foods and cooked foods, and you're focusing on some of these great sources for the ascorbic acid or vitamin C, then you're going to be okay. Now, why do you want vitamin C? Because your mom told you to, and those little chewy tablets are pretty yummy? No, no. I mean, those are a couple of reasons. But if you are going in for dental surgery, even if it's just to get a cavity filled... (coughs) But certainly if you're going in for something like a root canal or if you're going in for knee surgery, any kind of a surgical event, you want to get your vitamin C levels as high as your body will maintain them. Okay, Remember, it's a water soluble, so for the most poor part, you will eliminate what your body doesn't need. But if you go into a surgical procedure with a good level of vitamin C, then your healing process is going to be so much faster. It absolutely promotes wound healing. Now here's another area too, functions as an antioxidant. So why does that matter? Well, through the process of cellular respiration, remember that's when the mitochondria, take that glucose molecule and break it down and give you ATP so you have tons of energy. Well, back in that process, sometimes there are waste materials released as a natural process of cellular respiration and those are what we hear as free radicals. Now you can't pick up a a popular press without seeing something about free radicals. Well, just know that that's a byproduct from cellular respiration, and vitamin C is one of those helpers that gets rid of those free radicals so they don't lead to increased risk of cancer. Okay, seems like a worthwhile <clears throat> trade. Um, also, if you if you bruise really, really easily, and it's not attributed to some other di- uh, condition, or if you bleed very easily and it doesn't tend to heal up as quickly as you might like, look to vitamin C to help with those issues. And if you're light complected like I am, sometimes you'll see little, like little red. They they almost look like pinpricks. Just little tiny red pinpricks. And what those are are broken capillaries. And as those capillaries throughout your body break, it doesn't cause any, you know, any huge effect, but if you start getting a lot of them, you might use that as an indicator to bump your vitamin C. Because again, it's it's one of the indicators that you may be operating within a shortage on the vitamin C. more of uh, the minerals, we're we're passing through the vitamins now, continuing on with minerals, which are considered part of uh, your micronutrients because you need them in micro or small amounts. And I'm going to draw your attention to these two right down here at the bottom, magnesium and iron. And there are a lot of ways to increase the iron that you're getting in your diet spinach is the common one, but you can also increase your iron intake with um, dried fruits, nuts, different kinds of cereals, and uh, this is another argument for walnuts and lentils. We keep, seem to come back to those. So what's the big deal about iron? Well, two-thirds of it from our whole body is going to be in the blood system. And what the iron does is it's a component of um, the hemoglobin. And what that does is allows those red blood cells to maximize their transportation of oxygen through your body. If you're iron deficient, what happens is your red blood cells can't grab enough of the oxygen. So when those red blood cells get to your extremities, they don't really have anything to offer those far tissues. So if you can't feed your tissues, if your tissues don't get the oxygen, then they're not going to work very well. And that's associated with being sluggish, being tired, your muscles wear out easily, and you just really don't feel very good. That may be associated with this iron deficiency because you're not getting enough oxygen circulating and being distributed um, to, your, to your tissue. Okay, here's another one, magnesium. And calcium-magnesium in combination, for one thing, critical for bone formation. But does anybody have trouble getting to sleep? Or you try and you try and you try to go to sleep, but your legs are jerky and, you know, it just doesn't happen? Well, that may be a result of calcium-magnesium being needed. Magnesium is it's kind of a natural muscle relaxer. So if getting to sleep is an issue for you, then rather than going with, um, with a drug route, uh, you know, or shots of tequila before bed, um, then, and go for the reposado, by the way. Uh, but but with, with the magnesium as a supplement, you'll find that it really helps sort of calm everything down. Now, so if you're doing your calcium magnesium supplement, you're doing your B complex, and you're bumping the Cs, you're gonna be pretty healthy, right? Well, don't forget the walnuts and broccoli. Okay, these are these are some of uh, uh, some of the other typical amounts that you'll find in a supplement. And I want you to see there that even in this, where you're taking a multivitamin supplement and you're thinking, okay, I took my multivitamin, you know, everything's good. It's like, you're only getting 13% of your daily value for magnesium in that particular supplement. So, it's really not going to move you into the kinds of levels that balance out where you need to be uh, for magnesium. Okay. Some of the other ones that we have on the list. Calcium, we have talked about an awful lot in this class in terms of bone health and heart health. Uh, So I'm going to pass on that one for right now. And I'm going to go ahead and keep moving. There we go. So some of the last line on the minerals that are of importance. Uh, iodine, magnesium, zinc, selenium, and some of the others. Now I asked you to do this uh, a couple of months ago, but a lot of you weren't here then. So I'll say it again: Look on your fingernails and see if you have white spots or stripes. And it's very—it's not subtle. It's very clear. You'll see if you have like little white stripes or spots on your nails. Anybody see those? Yeah. Hand up, loud and proud. Okay, you, 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 increase your zinc, okay? Because that's one of those indicators. It's one of the indicators that you're not getting enough zinc in your diet. And the big deal about zinc, thank you, Sheila. amazing. The big deal about zinc is that it is responsible for catalyzing or moving ahead almost 100 different reactions in your body. Now, if you don't have enough zinc, does that mean these other reactions are not occurring? No, but it does mean that they're not occurring at their optimal (coughs) level, and you can improve your health with that. All right, food, what are we supposed to eat? Okay, what are we supposed to eat? Okay, here's, here's an example about, shh. Here's an example about um, how our food choices <laughs> translate into land use issues. And in this example, we're going to feed him nothing but trout for a year. And it would take to feed one man for one year, just to provide the basic calories, uh, 300 trout to feed him for a year. We have to feed the trout. Uh, About 90,000 frogs worth is what it's going to take to feed one man, uh, the 300 trout for one man for one year. And we have to feed them, so that's going to be about 27 million grasshoppers to feed 90,000 frogs, to feed 300 trout, to feed one man one year. Okay? We still have to feed the grasshoppers to the tune of a 1,000 tons of grass. Okay? Now, if we can skip a couple of levels in the food chain, then that's going to lead to greater <coughs> efficiency of land use and... Here's an example of how we can improve efficiency in terms of land use. All right, all crops are not created equally. So if I grow an acre of corn or an acre of wheat or an acre of soybean, am I going to be getting the same amount of calories? The answer is no. So very, very clearly, if I have limited land available uh, and I'm looking to produce calories, I have to be careful about my choices. Now in this example, I want you to look at corn. And in my 10 by 10 square, square feet, okay, my, my 100 square feet, my 10 by 10 plot, if I plant that in corn, I'm going to get 13 pounds of corn. Total calories, I'm going to be able to grow 20,500 calories on my 100 square feet. Now, if I grow something else, let's say oats, for example, I'm only going to get 5 pounds but it's a more dense food, so I'm going to get more calories per pound, and, or excuse me, fewer. So now I'm only getting 8,800 calories for the same amount of land where I was able to get 20,000 calories from the corn. Okay, look further down here at some of these other ones. Uh, sweet potatoes, quinoa, 100 pounds of sweet potatoes. I get 37,000 calories of good nutrition from my tiny little plot of land. And if we go further down to the bottom, look at rutabagas. So if we're looking for an answer to a global food crisis and we're recognizing it as a land use issue, I can get 300 pounds of rutabagas, low-calorie food, and 53,000 calories from that same little plot of land. So, in terms of um, land use and food production, it becomes a very, very important part of that management puzzle. Now we're also going to, uh, near in the future, be looking at breakdowns of how much protein is available within various crops. And just a quick look on this one before we move on to the quiz. but. I'll tell you up front that you're not going to see me sit down to a plate of dried earthworms, okay, I'm just not going there. Uh, I love bizarre foods as much as anybody else, but no earthworms. However, if I did, if I sat down to a plate of dried earthworms, a pound of them for example, three-fourths of that would be protein. Now if we're looking at our diets around the world, the biggest shortage around the world for most people is protein. Okay.